I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 549 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have got a guest for you guys today who has literally been out of this world. NASA space astronaut Victor Glover joins me on First Class Fatherhood. Victor was the pilot on the very first operational flight of SpaceX Crew Dragon to the International Space Station. He was also a member of Expedition 64. All told, Victor has spent 167 days in outer space, with 26 of those hours being outside of the spacecraft doing spacewalks. As a commander in the U.S. Navy, Victor flew FA-18s as well as 40 other aircraft. He has flown 24 combat missions. He completed his astronaut training back in 2015, and he is currently a part of the Artemis crew, which will be sending Americans back to the moon for the first time since the Apollo missions. And that could very well make Victor Glover the first African-American man to ever walk on the moon. He's got the coolest dad job ever. I'm absolutely honored to have him on the podcast today. Victor Glover will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Victor Glover was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between myself and the astronaut, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and if you guys enjoy today's interview with Victor Glover, you got to go back and check out my recent interview that I did with Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield. Uh, Chris Hadfield recently wrote a fictional thriller, The Apollo Murders. You'll find that interview available in the archives of the podcast, so go check it out. Still to come this week, General Keith Kellogg will be here, as well as Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill, who is returning for his second interview on the podcast. Rob O'Neill, of course, is the first-class father who shot and killed Osama bin Laden and did this country and this world a great favor. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram for all the other upcoming guest announcements. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Victor Glover. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. What's doing, dads? I've got two ways for you guys to save money and support First Class Fatherhood. First up, the NFL season is back and the stands are packed once again with fans the way it's supposed to be. If you plan on taking your kids, going with your family, or going with the guys to the game, save $20 on your tickets by going to SeatGeek.com or using the SeatGeek app and use my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, and you're going to save $20 off your tickets. Okay, and secondly, you got to go to MyPillow.com and save up to 66% off using my promo code FATHERHOOD. MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD. I'll tell you right now, their pillows are great, but their mattress toppers, their towels, their bathrobes are next level. You got to check them out. MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD, and you're going to save up to 66% off your order. All right, you got that, guys? SeatGeek, save $20 on your tickets, promo code over there, first class. My pillow promo code over there, fatherhood. All right, two ways for you guys to save money and support First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Victor Glover. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alec, it's great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start it just like this here. Uh, how many kids do you have and how old are they? I have four daughters, uh, one away at college, 18. 16, 15, and 13. <laughs> wow. Well, God bless you there. I got, I got four myself. We had three boys, then got our girl, our only girl, on the fourth try. So 
Uh, nice. If not, we'd have five by now, but we, we got her, and that was the end of that. It, pray for it, me, I'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah, Roger that. If you could, please, Victor, just take out a simple capsule form here, hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh, I've been blessed to to serve our Navy for 23 years, and uh, about eight years ago, I was selected to be an astronaut and, and came here from Washington, D.C. I was uh, working in Congress. Uh, and, and then I got the phone call asking if I wanted to come and, and start training to be an astronaut. And about two years after that uh, was, was pinned as an astronaut, a few years later assigned to the Crew-1 mission. And I had the privilege last November of launching from Kennedy Space Center uh, atop a Falcon 9 rocket in uh, Crew Dragon Resilience made by SpaceX. And we went to the space station for 167 days and landed uh, this past May. Yes. Pretty amazing. So, Pretty amazing adventure. So cool. Yeah. Thank you for your service. And so if you could, Victor, here, uh, bring, bring me back. You said about 18 is your oldest. So bring me back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey here. About how old were you then when you first became a dad? And how did that experience kind of change your perspective on life? 26, 26 years old. And wow. Um, I mean, it just uh, it became all about her and our family. My oldest daughter's name is Genesis. You know, she was the beginning of our family. And um it, it just it I completely changed the way that I looked at everything. You know, instead of thinking about myself first, I, I had to think about the entire family unit, my wife, my kid, the future. And as a military parent, you know, there's an added uh, layer to it, knowing that we're going to move around so much and knowing one day that I was going to have to move these girls around maybe when, when they were in high school. Uh, and so, always, you know, I was always thinking about the environments that we were going to put them in and and so um, I, it really, it changed my priorities. It, it took the priority off of me and what I wanted and what I thought. And it, it enabled me to just put it on my wife and my daughters and think about what's going to be best for their development, their encouragement. Um, and that, that was the biggest change, I would, I would say, is priorities. Yeah, very well said, Victor. And one of the reasons, why, one of the many reasons why I have so much respect for the men and women that serve in our military, and I make it a point to bring on so many military dads on the podcast. I've had a ton of Navy SEALs, a, a lot of Special Forces guys. And it's just because I just going to I'm a mechanic on the railroad and sometimes I have to work an extra shift and being away from my family. I'm like, oh, man, this kind of stinks. But to be deployed overseas is one thing to be in outer space is another. So well, if you could, <laughs> Victor, walk me through that kind of emotion as a dad. What is that like for you when you're getting prepared to, to get on a mission, obviously very dangerous and go into outer space? Walk me through that whole process of you as a dad. You know, actually, uh, I'm going to go back to the military deployments because we we had some practice with it, you know, but uh, the thing that changed the most between each deployment was my children. I deployed five times in the Navy prior to going to space, and so we had a chance to practice. But every time my kids were a little bit older and they understood a little bit more, and when I first began to deploy – I, I would tell my kids, you know, duty, honor, country. I'm going to serve and protect democracy. And they still were like, ah, but my dad's leaving, you know, and it didn't seem to, to really resonate with them because their dad was leaving. It was much more personal. And I was giving them these global answers. And then I actually uh, left on a deployment and and uh, had to come back home and redeploy. I had to, like, go home the next day and then leave again. And I was leaving that time, and my one of my daughters says to me, Dad, why do you have to go? And I said, honey, Dad's got to go so somebody else's mom or dad can come home. And that was the first time one of my kids was like, oh, that makes sense. And so 
um, you know, I just I think of it in those terms, you know, just how it, it needs to be personal. They are losing somebody that they love or look up to or just like asking for money so they can go to the mall or whatever. But they're losing this personal thing and these high ideals, while they may be important, that's not what they're asking. They're 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 wanting to know why do I have to deal with this personally? And so and they they want to hear something personal and know that, hey, this is rough on me, too, but we're going to get through this together and we're going to be stronger because of it. And so going to space, I would say that uh, I, I sort of you know developed this personal mission. NASA spent three years training me to work and live in space. I spent that long or more preparing my family for me to work and live in space. And so I spent every opportunity that I could sharing with them what it was going to be like what we were going to do, uh, but also letting them know how much I was going to miss them and, and but also what ways we would have to keep in touch. And so it was very different than a military deployment, very different. Uh, but again, having a little bit of practice beforehand and what it would be like to get ready for it, I think helped us out in the long run. Yeah, Victor, very good explanation. I never heard it quite put that way. Uh, so very cool there. And I, I want to ask you too, like, what would you consider to be uh, the top values that you hope to instill in all your girls as they grow up? Oh, wow. That's great. Great that you asked me that because, you know, you asked me about let's take it back to the beginning. When I started having kids, you know, my wife and I were in our 20s and I was a young military officer, you know, ambitious, trying to do this thing and develop this career and a family at the same time. And I used to think the number one thing I wanted my kids to have was discipline. Alec. I was I was focused on discipline. And I was in uh, test. I had gone through flight school and all that. I went to my first squadron, deployed in combat, went in Iraqi freedom in 2004, uh, had the opportunity to go to test pilot school. And so while I was in test pilot school, we took a vacation over the Christmas holidays and we went to visit an aunt and uncle in Hawaii. And uh, we, we were with my wife's aunt and uncle and we're talking about children. Their children are a little older, almost our age. And so they had been through this phase of life. And I was telling telling my uncle, you know, I really you know, want my kids to be disciplined. And he said, yeah, discipline's important. But, you know, looking back on it, self-esteem is, too. You know, self-esteem is so important. And that just one, because I respected him and his kids and his family. I, I just it just changed my thinking. And I thought, you know, I, I need to think more about that self-esteem. And then especially having girls and, you know, not having sisters. This was a whole new thing to me, raising healthy girls. And so self-esteem became a really important uh, uh, topic for me. And I would say a healthy self-esteem, right, because having too much or too little can both be problematic. And so I think having a having right self-esteem is, is very important. Yeah, very cool, Victor. And you mentioned there a little bit. I would imagine that the astronaut community is a tight community, I would think. Now, when you're getting uh, prepared to go on, like, uh, this deployment or this uh, mission into space, do the astronauts, do the, are the families close? Are your kids close with the other astronaut kids? What is that relationship like between your kids and the other astronaut kids? You know, it, it is interesting. This community is a little different than the military where, you know, I think just by nature, when we live on a base – and when when a unit deploys in the military, the whole unit is gone usually. And so the all of the families are feeling the same thing here. One, two or three of us deploy and the rest of us are still here. So there is an aspect of being in the astronaut office and, and our, our family interactions that are much more 
you know, like regular life, I think, you know, in your neighborhood, you may know some of your neighbors, you may not. And so we definitely have folks that we are close to, though, and that our kids are close to. And that support is there. And and you lean on it when you need to. And so I, I have classmates, you know, that I came into this uh, into the astronaut corps with uh, that are very close to. And, and some of them have children, which is great. And our kids get along. And so we 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 have plenty of opportunity to support one another. And I was very fortunate to have a good friend uh, and, and colleague to support my family through launch, but also just to be there. He's a dad of four girls, uh, four kids, uh, three girls and a son, and, and uh, was there to support my family at launch and then through the mission uh, whenever they needed it, something interesting was going on. And now I have the opportunity to turn around and do that for someone else. I'm actually going to support another family here for the launch that we have coming up uh, at the end of this month. And so we do have an opportunity to take care of each other and our families um, and, and I think that is one of the most important things that we get to do. Awesome. Yeah. Great stuff, Victor. And I, I got to ask you this next question. I told you my, my 14 year old son, Logan, he's a, he's a huge space guy. He follows all this stuff. So he had one question here for you. Let me hit you with it. He says, uh, what was the hardest part of becoming an astronaut and what was the easiest part of becoming an astronaut for you? Oh, Logan, those are great questions. <laughs> so the hardest part of becoming an astronaut and the easiest part. Wow. The hardest part, I would say, is uh, the waiting. You know, you, you, you're going to have to attain a very high level of education. Uh, I would have done that anyway. I love education, formal, informal. I was going to graduate school as soon as I had the opportunity in the Navy, which can be a little challenging. I learned to fly jets. I got to go to test flight school. All of these technical things that you have to do, you know, those are things I'd, I'd, I've loved and I would have paid money. I fly for a living but I would pay money to fly if I couldn't earn money flying, you know. And so so I can't really say that those things were hard, even though I had to do many of those things. But I, I became an astronaut at the age of 37. And all of those things I had done up to that point, all of the experiences I had in graduate school, college, and, and in my family, uh, leadership development in the military, those things were necessary. And so it just took that long. And that's the part I think that can be challenging because becoming an astronaut is not an entry-level job. And we have a wide age range of people that we hire, but this is not a first job kind of job. You need to bring in some developed skills, developed experiences, and and, and developed character uh, into this. It's very technical, but it is also very personal. And so waiting. Now, and then when you get into the application process, actually, it's about a two-year process the way that I did it. I had to apply to the Navy first and then to NASA. Now you can apply directly to NASA, but it's still over a year long. And most of it is waiting. So the, the, the waiting is the hard part. Let's see. The easiest part. The easiest part. Wow. What was the easiest part of becoming an astronaut? I would say, you know, getting the chance to go out and talk to people about aeronautics and space, especially young people, which is my favorite audience. I'm happy to go talk to scientists or medical personnel's professional, you know, but but being able to talk to a group of kids that's motivated and excited about space is one of my favorite aspects of this job. And I was doing that before in the Navy when these flight suits were green or tan. And I love doing it then. And I still love doing it. And I will probably always love doing that. And uh, that to me was the easy part. In fact, one of the parts of this job that I was looking forward to the most when when I got this job eight years ago. 
Yeah, very cool, Victor. Yeah, and to your point, I guess you don't want to sit in the capsule and the guy next to you just got out of college or just was waiting tables the year before, <laughs> you know? I would think it's yeah. it's not a f- entry-level job, for sure. So. No, it's and I wanted to, I'm curious here, Victor, because you have the four girls. I told you I have one girl, and I'm still struggling here a bit with my discipline with her. I, I kind of give in way too easily. My wife gets on me constantly. I'm a little better at it with my boys. I discipline a little different. What type of disciplinarian yeah. are you as a dad, and is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Uh, I think I, I, I made a conscious decision to let my girls struggle, to let them, to let them wrestle with things a little bit and not jump in and rescue. Um, I think when they go out into the real world, I don't want their first experience with, you know, really having to attain a standard, really having to deal with some challenging problem. I don't want their first time to be when they're, you know, going to college, which already has all of these challenges. So so I think consciously I, I intentionally am a little bit more of a disciplinarian. Like I said, my first trait I thought I really wanted my kids to have was discipline. And it is still important to me, even with self-esteem being so important. And so I think more so I tend to be uh, a little more like the one I want to prepare you for for outside of my house for the professional, you know, academic or whatever those challenges that they might face are. And so I kind of treat them more like, you know, one day you're going to have a boss and that boss is going to have these standards that you've got to meet there. It's not going to be, well, how you feel about it or I'm giving you a chance beca- because I love you, you know, and and, and but I, but doing that in a loving way so that they always know that that I love you. Uh, because most important for me is that that we talk and that they continue to to speak to my wife and I. And so um, that, you know, but I also my kids are older. My youngest kid is 13 now and I've got one that's living outside my house now. And so that really, you know, preparing for that, knowing that one of our kids is leaving the house soon. I mean, that is a that is a thing that marches toward you at a pace that always just seems way too fast. And we just had to adapt. We had to be ready for that. And so it's like, hey, I need to know that she's going to be okay, and we have to we we've got to let her deal with things. We've got to let her struggle a little bit and find a way and make decisions and be okay with her making those decisions. And so that's where really my main focus with them kind of you know revolves around that, making sure that they'll be self sufficient, especially being a dad to girls, because you know when they were little, my wife couldn't hold them. If she was feeding them, as soon as she was done, I wanted them. I mean, those girls wouldn't have learned to walk if it was up to me because I wanted to hold them all the time. And I would have done that until they were 18. If I could have just babied them and looked at them and you know told them how beautiful they are, and they are inside and out. But but you know it's also our responsibility to get them ready for that world out there. And and uh, you know I, I try to remember that and so consciously you know make sure that they're ready when I can. Yeah, and it's coming right around the corner at me, too, at a, at a ridiculously <laughs> fast pace. And sometimes I'll look at my oldest son. He's doing the dishes. And I'm watching him do it. I'm like, man, this guy's going to be driving a car. You know, like we, we got to work. <laughs> we got work to do here. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm teaching one to drive right now. Uh, it goes way too fast. Third one. I'm teaching my third one to drive. It goes yeah, not- way too fast. Yeah, I'm still prepping myself for that. So, all right. Obviously, uh, we I know we got the Artemis mission coming up. You're a part of this mission. What does it mean to you uh, to, to be a part of that? When is it going down? I think it's is it 2024. I wasn't sure. What, what is it going to be? What is it going to be to mean to you to get a chance to walk on the moon? 
Well, so great question. Great, great question. Uh, wh what is it going down? We're going to have a test mission that, well, it's it's an uncrewed mission, Artemis 1. It, it's looking at the end of this year uh, that we're going to send the Orion capsule around the moon farther and faster than any crewed vehicles ever gone before. That's a huge accomplishment, making sure that we're ready to send people to do the same thing. And, you know, my role as a part of the Artemis team is to be involved in the testing and development of Orion as we're still working on some things. And then we, we when we eventually assign crews, I could be one of those or I could be a part of the ground support here and, you know, talking to them from mission control or even just supporting the families, like I said before. And whatever my role is, I'm going to I'm going to work to do my level best and I'll be happy for our generation, like not not of the astronauts, but of humanity to be able to have that, that you know, what Apollo meant for so many of us space fanatics that look at that and go, that's like one of the greatest things humans have ever accomplished, you know, technically at least. And so for our generation to be able to have that, not just looking back on it in a historical sense, but in an active participatory sense that we get to do this. I think, you know, having, uh, having a moonshot uh, really can bring together all of us, people across the globe. And that's the part of it that I hope resonates with, with, with society the most is it's something that all humanity should get behind and be excited about because there's so much out there right now trying to divide us that this opportunity to go to the moon and have everybody look in the same direction, look up at the moon and say, we're sending people there again. And to stay is just a great thing that we all can literally, literally and figuratively look up to. How great is that? Fascinating. Such so fascinating, man. And, and I didn't know it. Excuse me for not knowing it. How do they choose out of the Artemis crew? What do they put names in a hat? You guys play a poker game. How does that work? Who how do they pick the crew? You know, we have a chief in the office and he and his bosses all the way up to the administrator of NASA. It, it, they might as well put names in a hat because that's about what it comes <laughs> out like. No, no, I don't know. I know there is a process. It's rigorous, but I'm not involved in it. I don't know. So to me, it'll be like a magic box when they say who's going and, and we'll just march to and make sure that that happens successfully. But uh, I don't actually know. I know that they look at the training and qualifications of the folks there based against the mission requirements, experience levels and things. And they want to mixture of new folks and flown folks uh you know it, it doesn't do us any good to have an office full of rookie astronauts you got to make them veterans at some point and so um it, it's it's a complicated uh house of cards that they have to build and and i'm glad i don't have to do it actually i think it would be pretty tough because i look around at the office my colleagues here i mean i'm like I, any of them any of us i you know how do you pick it's e Probably yeah. as hard as it is to pick people to hire to do this job that I'm glad I, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, right on there, Victor. And the last thing I want to hit you with here, I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? About-to-be fathers, new dads. Hey, guys, uh, listen. You know, there's tons of books out there with tons of advice, how you do it, how you should do it, how, what you shouldn't do. You know what, though, what we all have to remember is you have a dad and, and Lord willing, a dad that's still around. But if you don't, you have memories of that dad. And so you had a great example or maybe it wasn't a great example, but you had an example. And we all have that life experience. And sometimes you're going to have to trust yourself. And there's no there's no perfect way because your parenting depends on your kids and your relationship and your life circumstances. And so. You're figuring it out as you go sometimes. Sometimes you try something. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you think about it and you, you find a way to do better the next time, just like we do in other things in our lives. And so be prepared to give yourself some grace. Be OK with not making the perfect decision every time. Uh, 
make yourself available. Be there for your kids. Even when they hit teen, those teen years and they don't want to talk to you, sometimes you just go sit next to them and just you're there, even if there's no words being said. But, but you know, there's not a perfect way to do it. You do your best. That's all any of us can do. You do your best and, and, and be ready to forgive yourself because none of us does it perfectly, but you just keep trying to do your best. And, and I believe in you. And, uh, and I'm, I'm rooting for you. Most important yeah. job that any of us are blessed to do. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Victor Glover, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks, Alec. It's been great talking to you. Same to you. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Victor Glover for giving me a few minutes of his time. That was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Be sure you flip it back and listen to my conversation with Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield. That's available in the archives. If you're interested in helping to support the show and get a better night's sleep, go visit MyPillow.com, and you can save up to 66% off your order by using the promo code FATHERHOOD. So get over to MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD. You're going to get a better night's sleep and you're going to help support the podcast here. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.